Now all across North Carolina, it's Carolina Newsmakers. Here's your host, Don Curtis. Well, hello again and welcome back to Carolina Newsmakers. And uh, we're delighted to have via Zoom conference, Congressman David Price, who is the fourth district congressman from the state of North Carolina, a longtime member of Congress, and uh, has been a frequent guest on this program for many times. And uh, uh, as I told the congressman earlier, I saw his age in the newspaper account, and uh, we are exactly the same age. Although, Congressman, I got to tell you, I, I, I look a lot better than you do. I, I, <laughs> <laughs> uh, well, well, it's all you, in how you're moving around, and it looks like we're both moving around. So. That's right. Well, that's my story, and I'm, I'm uh, sticking to it. See if you make that <laughs> well. Uh, uh, you know, I, I had these, uh, well, I won't go into that. That's, that. That goes all the way back, but I've always had these visions of grandeur that are not quite true. Well, Congressman, you know, we start this program off, no matter who the guest is, by saying something that is so obvious, and that is that these are highly, highly unusual times, and, and all the times that you and I have been around, and we've been around now for a long time, we've never seen anything like this. Uh, we've been through recessions, we've been through floods, we've been through natural disasters, uh, we've been through uh, wars, but we have never seen anything quite like this. And so I guess it is a matter of sort of uh, uh, taking one step at a time and trying to go from there. But uh, th this is truly a, a difficult, difficult time. It is. It's the, the, just the scope and the scale of it. It's worldwide. It's nationwide. You know, there are portions of our community that are harder hit than others. And, uh, you know, I, they always say that disasters shine a light on the inequalities and, and the flaws in your and that, that existed before the disaster, and that's absolutely true in this case. We're seeing lots of um, lots of things that should give us uh, give us pause and, and give us a, a lot of work to do once this is over. But it is it is unprecedented. I think in terms of the uh, the federal response, there there are combinations of. Um, of uh, disaster and, and recession involved here that, um, you, you know, the precedents you look to are, are, of course, disaster relief, which is nationwide. But then also we have a recovery job that we're going to have to do, and we're going to be confronting that for a long time. Well, you know, the interesting thing about this is all sides have some good points. I mean, you know, and how we uh, merge those together. I mean, clearly uh, people want to get back to work and uh, the economy needs people to get back to work. On the other hand, the other side of that is, if we're not careful, we're going to uh, endanger the health of a lot of people. So it, this is not like one that has easy solutions, but a lot of people are sort of dug in in their opinions and are sticking to them. Well, that's, that's really unfortunate because the, uh, the two are tied together, as, as, as we well know. You know, you, uh, you, you've got to pay attention in the first instance, to the, to the nature of this crisis, which is a, uh, a devastating public health crisis, a very serious disease that's very contagious and that simply has to be uh, contained and ultimately uh, defeated. And, and of course, it has a devastating economic effects, but the, uh, the, 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 way to, the way to successfully reopen is to, uh, is to do it uh, with due respect for the health uh, situation and to not do it in a reckless way that actually will end up making the situation worse. So I, uh, I don't, um, 
I, I just reject the notion that one chooses upsides on this. I think, uh, I, you know, the president seems to see it that way. I think that's really unfortunate. I, uh, I would look more to Roy Cooper, our governor, and the way it's been handled in North Carolina, which uh, is that uh, addressing the public health crisis and addressing our, our desire, our universal desire to get going again economically. Those two have to be uh, two sides of the same coin. And, you know, actually, North Carolina has been less hit hard, less hard hit, I guess the proper term, than a lot of areas, uh, especially the New York area. It was just an absolute disaster in some of those hot spots. And uh, that could happen here if we're not careful. That's Uh, right. I mean, there's no no question that... uh, that we have flattened the curve here, but we certainly haven't defeated the virus. And uh, we're, we're cautiously reopening now, I think appropriately so, but uh, we got to watch it. And uh, those hospitalization cases are, uh, are on the rise uh, again, and that's, uh, that's ominous. So, so we, 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 uh, the last thing we should want is to uh, reopen prematurely in a way that ends up with more lives lost. Well, I'm a huge fan of uh, Walt Disney World. I, I love to take my family down there, especially my grandchildren. And I noticed that uh, they, uh, as we're taping this program, they have announced their reopening. So is uh, Universal theme parks. And all of a sudden, we're going to have large groups of people from all over the world uh, gathering in a space. Uh, what's your feeling about that? Is, is it time for us to go that far or do we need to... Uh, have more restrictions on when we get back to order? I think it entirely depends on how you do it. And, uh, you know, I, uh, I think that the, uh, the, the facilities you mentioned, the Disney organization, they're going to want to do this the right way. And uh, I expect that when they reopen, it won't be like, uh, you know, standing in line like we all remember with our kids at uh, Disney World or Disneyland. You know, I expect it's going to be spaced out and very, uh, very carefully done. And uh, that's that's what they have to do. Well, it's it's really, uh, really a, a real question. It bothers me that uh, many, many people are in public places like shopping or not wearing masks. And, you know, to me, that shows a disrespect for the people you're with rather than a boldness on your own part. If you, if you choose that you don't want to take care that's okay but you're putting me at risk when you don't wear a mask and that that just uh, doesn't seem quite right to me no it isn't quite right and and of all the things that shouldn't become politicized or shouldn't become some kind of political statement uh, i would say that uh, that's it because uh, even when we're pretty far down the road toward reopening and observing lots of other protocols you know a mask is going to be prudent and uh, all the health officials tell tell us that in fact uh, the president's own task force members said that, and uh, you know he goes off in his own way here. I, I just, uh, I just refuse to let uh, uh, that define that kind of political uh, gamesmanship define this. It'd be a disaster for this country if you don't have a kind of unified approach where uh, where people behave sensibly. They respect, as you say, respect uh, each other. And, and that's what a mask is all about. It's certainly more a matter of protecting other people than it is uh, protecting yourself, let alone showing how macho you are. One of the things that kind of bothers me, of course, North Carolina, uh, the state of North Carolina, state government, and most and our counties uh, have a balanced budget requirement. We have to balance the budget. We have to have the money coming in that we're going to spend on normal operations. 
capital improvements and building new buildings are a little different. But for the most part, uh, we operate on a balanced budget. So North Carolina's uh, health has been relatively good through the years. They have a low bond rating or high bond rating so that they can borrow money when we do build buildings because of that. Now, what's bothering me a little bit is uh, most of the lack of, and we're going to have a real shortfall of, of income coming into the state uh, of North Carolina for both uh, uh, personal tax as well as sales tax. So the federal government is going to have to, uh, because they have the ability to borrow, bail out states. Now, what's worrying me, and I know you are concerned about this, is is it going to be fair to overly reward some of these states who have been irresponsible for the years uh, at the cost of hurting North Carolina. And we've been basically pretty responsible. I'm sure you're going to be watching that. I am going to watch it. I, I do think um, uh, I, I, I'm also wary of this politically a little bit. I think some of the people who've been throwing around that uh, accusation that the states have been irresponsible, uh, you have to ask them exactly what they're talking about. Yeah, because um, because uh, just because a state has had a more generous unemployment system, for example, or, or because a state has uh, invested in uh, in affordable housing, that that doesn't mean they're irresponsible. It means they've been uh, making investments, uh, and and that, is, as far as I'm concerned, should count in their favor, not uh, not a, a against them. But uh, when you talk about reimbursing states, and and now we need to talk, I think, about some direct support for states and also for, uh, for local governments. Um, you're not talking about, um, you know, filling the, uh, <laughs> but making up for past, past expenditures. You're talking, first of all, in the first sentence, you're talking about directly, spent uh, expenses directly related to the pandemic. And you are, so you also need to be talking about, uh, revenue losses associated with the pandemic. Uh, that second point is really important. You, uh, you know, this first uh, installment of funding that came to North Carolina, the governor and the General Assembly uh, came to a, um, a good agreement, I think, about uh, how that first uh, uh, amount of money, uh, something like $1.3, $1.4 how that should be distributed. But you may have noticed that $300 million of that was going to go to uh, our really financially strapped Department of Transportation. And that money is sitting there waiting on this next uh, legislation, the HEROES Act, to be freed up because uh, initially we had restricted it uh, unwisely, I think, restricted it that, it that it couldn't backfill lost revenue. Well, this, this crisis is all about lost revenue uh, as far as uh, state and local government is concerned. But, um, but that's, that's what we're talking about here. We're talking about directly or indirectly compensating states and localities for the hit they've taken in the pandemic. And, of course, the other thing that is a, a tad unfair is a number of states are having relatively little change in their uh, situation. And so, consequently, uh, we're taking federal money from their taxes and, and redistributing it to those that uh, are having more problems. But I guess that's, uh, that uh, goes with the, uh, with, the, uh, with the flow, so to speak. Well, that, that's what it means to be the United States, of course, as we... Uh as we always say in North Carolina, when we're uh, taking more than we're giving in uh, hurricane relief, uh, you know, not the whole the whole country is not equally vulnerable to hurricanes. Yes, but the whole the whole country needs to pull together, whether it's wildfires or hurricanes or earthquakes or whatever it is. You, um, that's what it means to be a nation and to uh, 
you, you know, we know if we're in a donor position at some point, helping people somewhere that have a, a worse situation than we do, we do. First of all, we're grateful that we're not uh, having to be a, a recipient. And number two, we uh, understand that the roles could easily be reversed. And, and the other thing, just I, I, I really think you do have to listen carefully to who's saying what, because a lot of those states, the red states, uh, for lack of a better term, that are now complaining about having to help New York or having to help Washington State or wherever the pandemic hits hardest. I tell you for sure, those are states that get more than they receive from the federal government year after year after year. Uh, our, guest is, our guest is Congressman David Price. I'm going to have to take a break right now, Congressman. Our guest is Congressman David Price, and we'll be back with more right after these messages. One in three adults has prediabetes. One in three. That means it could be you, your football buddy, your football buddy, or you, your best man, your worst man, you, your dog walker, your cat jogger. While one in three adults has prediabetes, with early diagnosis, prediabetes can be reversed. Take the risk test at doihaveprediabetes.org. That's doihaveprediabetes.org. Wait, did they just say one in three adults has prediabetes? That's 33.33333% of adults. That means it could be me, my boss, or my boss's boss, or me, my favorite sister, or my other sister. That's seven members of my 21-person romantic book club. <gasps> Wait, the one in three could be me, my karaoke partner Carol, or ugh, my karaoke enemy Jeff. I'm going to take the risk test at doihaveprediabetes.org. Brought to you by the Ad Council and its pre-diabetes awareness partners. Tom has been a teacher for over 40 years. One day, I think one of the students had asked the question and he didn't remember the answer. And I also noticed that he was letting his class out earlier than they were supposed to let out. I was really starting to worry. Levi and I talked about how it would change our lives, but he was there beside me. When something feels different, it could be Alzheimer's. Now is the time to talk. Visit alz.org slash ourstories to learn more. A message from the Alzheimer's Association and the Ad Council. We continue with Carolina Newsmakers. Here's Don Curtis. We're back with Congressman David Price here on Carolina Newsmakers. Uh, Congressman Price, uh, how, many, how many years have you been in Washington, Grand Total? I, 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 uh, I, I have, to, have to count it up, but I, uh, I had an involuntary retirement for two years, you may remember, but otherwise... Uh, that was a sabbatical. Uh, no. <laughs> I've now uh, I'm now surpassed 30 years, so that's uh, that's incredible to to think about. Um, I remember um, I remember my first election night victory. Uh, the the chairman of the opposite party. There'd been a lot of turnover in the fourth district, back and forth, back and forth. Ike Andrews, Bill Covey, and so forth. And uh, the 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 uh, opposition leader said, "Well, looks like fourth district has elected another one-term congressman." I think about that and get a little uh, pleasure from it from time to time. It's been a long time, and I'm so grateful for the opportunity to serve through all the twists and turns that we have. Well, you have uh, you have seen a lot of different uh, unusual opportunity opportunities for uh, like this one. And when I say opportunities, I guess problems is a better word. And so you've been through it, and we're calling on you now to use some of that experience to help us guide through this thing. So let's, let's talk a little bit about what Congress has already done and then what you feel like Congress needs to do to continue the 
Uh, and for the time being, let's focus on the economic recovery. And then later on, we'll talk about the uh, medical and uh, vaccine type problems that we have. But let's talk right now about the economic recovery. Uh, one act has already been passed and uh, Congress is now looking at six steps. So let's review the first one. And uh, as you look back on it, do you think that's been a success? And uh, what have we learned from that? Well, we've had three, uh, we've had three recovery bills. The, the third and the largest by far was the so-called CARES Act. And that's, um, that's the one that really did the three-legged uh, assistance to individuals and families. It, uh, it, it contained direct payments administered through the tax system. It contained uh, enhanced unemployment benefits, uh, reaching a lot of people who, uh, you know, self-employed, gig economy type of people who normally wouldn't be covered and also enhanced the benefits. And then thirdly, it, uh, it supported small businesses and nonprofits. The, uh, that's called the Paycheck Protection Act, and it's called that because the first call on that money that is loaned on very generous terms to small businesses, the first call on that is their employees. The, the idea is you maintain your payroll and you have very generous uh, loan terms. And so uh, there's uh, some, some wrinkles with that uh, in, in terms of exactly how it should work. Uh, I think it's a very ambitious program, uh, a lot of money and, and a lot of different kinds of firms and nonprofits that are, that are, uh, are accessing it. Uh, but that's by far the best one. And it's the one that's, um, I think had the greatest uh, impact. Um, the, uh, the other major uh, categories of aid have been to, uh, as you say, the healthcare system uh, with, with our hospitals, our public health agencies, our community health centers, and, and, and so on. And uh, in, in the CARES Act, the third and biggest bill, we had more of that money. And now we're proposing that uh, really there needs to be additional health-related money for widespread testing and tracing. And that's, that's going to, uh, I'd love to see the National Service Program uh, deployed in the service of, um, of, of a lot of the outreach that we're going to need to do, because you cannot safely reopen without having the capacity to test in a widespread way and spot your cases and contain your cases. And then the final category is the one you and I discussed earlier, the state and local government aid. That was the one that uh, I think was uh, was shortchanged in the CARES Act, and that really needs to be uh, needs to be dealt with now. And we're talking here about just a tremendous hit that uh, that they've taken. I mean, this isn't just quote helping government. This is a matter of uh, keeping the rest stops open out on the highway, or it's a matter of keeping your your trash pickup going, or keeping the utilities on. And and I hear every day our local. Our, our municipal and county governments are hurting, large and small, and uh, it is directly COVID-related. Despite the rhetoric, you know, it hadn't, doesn't ha have much to do with the, what they may or may not have done in the past. It has everything to do with the hit they're taking right now and the revenue follow. So uh, that kind of direct support for states and for uh, local governments, I think, is uh, a final and, and major category. Great, uh, great summary of those, uh, those programs. Uh, the, you know, the way Congress works uh, is always interesting to me because so many of the decisions are actually made in committee and that's where the reviews are. And now that we have uh, this, this requirement for social distancing, we have a number of congressmen that have to travel a long way. 
And uh, so how is that functioning now as more and more congressmen are probably uh, being taken care of their, uh, themselves by, by staying at home? Well, it's, uh, it, your, your observation's right, of course, about the demographic group that most of us are in. People who are in the House and Senate, the members, are, uh, are of course, uh, getting along in years, and uh, some have um, more health uh, challenges than others. But, um, you know, I don't care how vulnerable you might be, you, you, you're going to have trouble uh, working in a congregate assembly of any sort under these conditions, particularly when you're uh, traveling to a hotspot, uh, which is what Washington DC is right now. And no. there's, there's no way just to contain this to the Capitol. I mean, you're, uh, I've, I've, I've gone up a couple of times uh, for these critical votes. Uh, I've driven, I think it's prudent to drive as opposed to flying. Uh, when you, when you think about the kind of exposure you might have, uh, not everybody can do that. Uh, I, I talked to a Florida colleague who normally has a, a nonstop flight, very easy. Uh, she had to spend two days and take four flights to get to D.C. just to uh, cast, cast some votes. And uh, it's even worse, uh, you know, in the Midwest. And so, so uh, having said that, we've got to deal with it. I mean, we, uh, this is a, this, the nature of this crisis is going to affect parliaments and, and legislative assemblies more than any other aspect of government. And if we don't watch it, uh, you know, there's going to be people who will take advantage of that. And, and so we have to figure out ways to function. That's why I think it was so important for us to uh, vote a couple of weeks ago to uh, permit proxy voting so that we don't have to physically all be there for every key vote. Uh, we, we have, um, I'm chairman of a, one of the appropriation subcommittees, the Transportation and Housing uh, Subcommittee. I've been putting the bill together just like I would ordinarily, aligned with staff and stakeholders and members of various sorts. But there's going to come a time when we have to mark up that bill and report that bill. And at that point, we're going to have to either gather physically in a committee room or, or figure out how to do it remotely. I think actually for the full committee, we're going to have to gather physically and I'm prepared to uh, take whatever measures we have to take to, to do that safely. So, um, so, so yeah, it's, it's especially a challenge for parliaments. Uh, you, you and I've talked in the past about this work I do with uh, parliaments uh, in developing countries. We, we have tried to reach out to those parliaments and, and help them uh, uh, increase their effectiveness. We have a good mutual uh, support organization going. We call it the House Democracy Partnership. And so um, we've instituted remote meetings with some of our parliamentary colleagues um, in places like Tunisia and Armenia and uh, Peru uh, and all over the world. It, it really is interesting to see how all over the world uh, people are, are coping. And in some of these developing countries, I'm, I'm very proud of them because they, they struggle to uh, operate in the best of times. And yet in, um, in most of the cases I, I mentioned and others, uh, they're, um, they're coping pretty much like we are. Well, it's certainly interesting. And, uh, you know, one of the things that happens in situations like this, and I want to address this, maybe, well, we can address it right now. Government goes on in all the other areas, and yet we are so focused in our news coverage on just one topic. Uh, do you think, uh, uh, how, how bad are, is the, the uh, 
focus on this one issue uh, affecting us and our ability to handle all the other issues that Congress has to deal with? Well, it's, uh, it's, a, it's a challenge. I mean, there's some ways that these issues come together. I think of my own subcommittee. You know, you and I have talked many, many times about ideally what this country would have in the way of an infrastructure program. You know, it's long, long overdue. And when you think about what recovery is going to look like from this pandemic, there's no, there's no version of that that doesn't include, I think, major infrastructure investments. So, so the challenge is to, uh, to blend the two somehow, to, to, uh, as, as we move from relief into recovery. I want to think about uh, investments in housing, in broadband, in, in, uh, in transportation. Uh, and I also want to think about, uh, hopefully, in a new administration with, uh, uh, you know, when you're on the other side of this crisis, I want to think about a major infrastructure initiative that, uh, you know, we've talked about for a long time, but maybe finally can, uh, can execute. So uh, in, in some of these instances, the, the work we're doing on the relief front may, uh, may blend into a, a longer term effort. I certainly hope it will. I don't want to stop prematurely, you know, the... Uh, the head, the chairman of the Fed, uh, Trump's appointee, Jay Powell, and, and also some other conservative economists said the other day, said, look, just be clear about this. The, the deficit, the debt, these are challenging long-term issues. We all know that. But right now, at this moment, the challenge is not doing too much. The challenge is doing too little. We need to yes. take that to heart. Our guest is Congressman David Price, and we'll be back with another segment of Carolina Newsmakers right after these messages. Hey, Dad, your prescription will be ready in just a minute. Hey, Dad, your laundry will be ready in just a minute. Dad, your lunch will be ready in just a minute. Hey, honey, why don't you take a minute? When you help care for a loved one, you give them as much time as you can, making sure they're safe and comfortable. But it's just as important that you take some time for yourself. At AARP, we can help with information and useful tips on how you can maintain a healthy life balance, care for your own physical and mental well-being, and manage the challenges of caring for a loved one. Because the better care you take of yourself, the better care you can provide for your loved one. Thanks, Dad. Thank you. You're there for them. We're here for you. Find free care guides to support you and your loved one at aarp.org caregiving. That's aarp.org slash caregiving. A public service announcement brought to you by AARP and the Ad Council. Hey, Dad, how do airplanes fly? What's in this box? Is this tree good for climbing? How are babies made? What does this thing do? Kids are curious about everything, including guns. Talking to them about gun safety in your home is a good first step, but you can do more. Always keep your guns locked, unloaded, and stored separately from ammunition. Safe gun storage saves lives. Learn how to make your home safer at nfamilyfire.org. That's nfamilyfire.org. Brought to you by N Family Fire, Brady and the Ad Council. Now, once again, with today's Carolina Newsmakers, here's Don Curtis. We're back with Congressman David Price, uh, Congressman from North Carolina's 4th District, and obviously a, a great deal of the topic topics that we're discussing have to do with the pandemic and the effect it has on not only uh, our uh, health, but also our economy. Uh, we have already spent a good bit of time talking about the uh, economy and some of the things that might have to be done to get the economy back on track. Uh, let's turn now, Congressman, if you will, to what uh, you see and how you see us 
uh, and see especially the federal government aiding in uh, providing funding for uh, the recovery from a health point of view, uh, how we uh, uh, are funding uh, projects for finding a vaccine, uh, additional therapeutics, and also, of course, the uh, tracking and testing. So uh, where, where, where do you think we are on that? Uh, it's right at the top of the list, and it needs to be. In fact, when you and I were talking a, a few minutes ago about the sequencing of these bills, the first one we did addressed, uh, addressed the vaccine research and the search for uh, therapies. And uh, so um, those, those efforts right now, the challenge is not money. I, I don't think any of us would want to skimp on those things. Uh, the, the challenge is, is simply uh, mustering the scientific expertise to, uh, to and, and, uh, and also I'd say some, some good, good luck as well as we uh, experiment with various approaches to uh, both vaccination and, and therapies. So, so those are funded. The, uh, and, and we just press going forward and, and we give these scientists whatever they need to, uh, to, to, to deal with this. Uh, there are uh, there are aspects, though, of the healthcare system that, uh, like everything else, have been thrown into sharp relief by what we're what we're going through, and uh, part of the part of the problem with uh, the disproportionate effects on uh, on African Americans and Latinos and, and people of color that, that that's partly a matter of them not having uh, adequate healthcare in the first place, and not not um, having insurance and so on. So. Um, I think the case coming out on the other side of this, I can't imagine anyone would any longer argue that we shouldn't expand Medicaid, for example, in North Carolina, that we shouldn't uh, fully support our community health centers, and that we shouldn't uh, take a hard look at uh, at uh, the the equities of health care and, and who's covered and who isn't and how we can make sure that that coverage is uh, is adequate. We have money in these bills to deal with testing and tracing and, and the kind of expenses that our hospitals and public health agencies are incurring. And of course, we need to cover that. But like everything else, it's gonna also pose some challenges uh, on the other side as to what are the lessons learned? What are the lessons learned about good health care and about a, a fair distribution of access to health care? I keep hearing, uh, I'm trying to keep up with this, but I, uh, I hear, the emphasis is placed on testing and tracking as one of the uh, key elements to uh, controlling this, the spread of uh, this uh, pandemic uh, uh, virus that we have. Uh, one of the, but I'm a little confused about it in the sense that I keep hearing different numbers. Uh, where do you think we stand is, or do we have enough tests available? Uh, and uh, are the, factors in place to use those tests for tracking? Uh, no, we do not have uh, enough tests in place. We never have, and we still don't, although the situation has improved some. You know, the, the, there, there are a couple of obvious ways we need to do testing, and, um, and, and, and then the, the isolation of cases, the tracking of contacts, and so forth. The first should have been the places where people are especially vulnerable. You know, we should have had we should have had testing of every person in a given nursing home facility uh, from the start. We should have tested everybody out at Butner Prison, all, all the inmates and all the all the guards and the personnel. Uh, 
uh, we should have um, we should have had uh, uh, in the meatpacking plants. You, you know, it shouldn't be a matter of testing someone who comes to work uh, with symptoms. It should be a matter of testing everybody. And then when you get a positive test, you isolate that person and protect the others. That's that is just so obvious. And yet we did not do that. And uh, we're, we're now doing it more more completely. But um, I, I tell you, I it's, I uh, I represent a lot of people who work at Butner. And, and, and who work at the various healthcare facilities, and uh, who, and it's just uh, you know the fact that uh, that the people they're serving and the people they're working with did not they were going in the dark so long, often they didn't have enough protective equipment, you know it's just uh, it's it's just a major major uh, failing I think on and and I would say a failing of the federal government, you, you know. You would hope that all the hospitals and all the public health agencies and all the rest should have uh, certain stockpiles, but um, but basically this is a national emergency. It's a national need. We have had a national provision for uh, pandemic preparation in the past, and so I, I do think um, it, it fell short. Okay, the second situation then is as you um, as you have community spread. You know, it's not just in hotspot locations. Then you really need to have the capacity to uh, to deal with people who may have symptoms, and and then to if if they test positive to to track their contacts, to contain you know to isolate them and their family members, and and then also to trace their contacts so that everybody's on notice and you don't just have people inadvertently spreading the virus, and that's that's what really takes. Uh, a huge uh, number of personnel and a huge amount of uh, testing equipment, and there too, we're, uh, we're we're not we're not there yet. But you know, the folks who want to reopen, who are so hot to reopen everything, they ought to be the first in line to uh, to support uh, testing and tracing. So, uh, how much money is is enough money available? Is it a timing issue? More it's than both. Any? I think there is money. There is money in the. Uh, in this new heroes bill, you know, we're talking, we've, you and I've talked about the three bills, which after a good bit of hassling, haggling still got done on a bipartisan basis. Now the question is, when does the heroes act, the fourth bill get done? And that one has a major, uh, um, um, you know, I think adequate funding for, uh, for, for the kind of testing and tracing, uh, effort nationally that we're, we're talking about. Um, uh, so, uh, and, and we now hear that, uh, that the Senate is uh, is ready to, to deal or, or that they're talking about in mid-June, you know, doing that fourth uh, bill. I'm sure it'll be a tough uh, negotiation, but uh, still, the state and local government is hanging in the balance. The testing and tracing is hanging in the balance. Uh, and, and uh, you know, building this bridge to the other side, uh, Mitch McConnell talks about pausing. I don't want to pause. I mean, I don't think our needs are pausing. Uh, the paycheck need health need. No, no, nobody's pausing. We need to keep building this thing to the other side. And I would say that testing and tracing capability, is, along with the state and local government support, are the key components of that. I want to change the subject a little bit and talk about uh, the return to the college campuses and the uh, uh, K through 12 uh, school systems. What's your view uh, on how we do that and uh, when we do that? Oh, talk about a tough uh, question. Are you, are you still a trustee over? At, uh, no, my, 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 my sentence is over. <laughs> yeah, well, 
if you were, you'd be agonizing over this, I promise, right now. This is yeah. not easy at all. These And the college administrators and the students and families, everybody's, uh, everybody's in a state of some uncertainty. Um, I, uh, you, you've, you've heard the same uh, speculation that I have about uh, actually an earlier opening might be advisable during the summer season and then, and then, um, and then not, not coming back after Thanksgiving so, so as to take advantage of whatever kind of seasonal break we get. Um, it's certainly going to be uh, a distanced kind of learning experience. With, for the, I think a good number of campuses will try to come back. Um, but uh, I, think, I think the classroom experience will be, uh, will be rather different. I think there'll be some hybrid of online and, and in-person instruction. Uh, I think your, everything from your living arrangements to your dining facilities are gonna be different. I, of course, very much hope that I'm a great believer in the campus experience and what it does for young people. And I, uh, I very much hope we can find a way to, uh, to reopen, but of course we gotta do it safely. And if we mess things up now and we end up with a, a major, um, resurgence of this you know forget it all bets are off what about k through 12 um well the same kinds of considerations i mean the same kind of cautious approach i think i, I don't think uh, schools will reopen this spring anywhere very much uh not uh, i really my own opinion based on what i know is that they shouldn't but in the in the fall will be another issue and it'll be a question of uh, of what um what's safe to do and, and how we can, uh, how we can develop a hybrid of the uh, traditional experience and, and doing some things online and, and in the case, and certainly um, spreading people out so that we uh, we're minimizing the risk. Uh, I, I just, um, you know, I guess the, uh, you, you think about political conventions this summer, you think about uh, athletic events, uh, you know, there's so many aspects of this that, uh, probably aren't gonna be anything like normal. I would like to think that the on-campus educational experience and the public school educational experience could in some measure be restored. That's, that's certainly what I would hope for. But I just think on that, like everything else, you gotta to look to your best, uh, the best evidence and uh, the best advice you can get from people who know uh, healthcare. Well, as we've discussed, there, there are uh, ups and downs and ins and outs of this, uh, uh, good points and bad points. You know, one of the interesting things is all the uh, kind of good lessons we've learned. For example, we're doing this interview by Zoom, which saved you travel. And uh, so we've, we've learned some good tricks uh, from this. I think, uh, yeah, this uh, Zoom platform is pretty, pretty good. And yeah. uh, there are others like it, you know. And uh, now I don't think things will, even when there's not a, a virus in sight, uh, let's hope. Uh, yeah. I, I don't think things will re remain the same. And uh, we we um, we have learned some things about how we can uh, operate more efficiently. I think telemedicine. I think telemedicine is going to get a huge boost yeah. out of this, and I think teleeducation will as well. Our guest is Congressman David Price, and we have one final segment, and we'll do that right after these messages. Not completing high school is more of a social thing than it was an academic thing. I came out in the eleventh grade. Nobody was embracing you kids were cruel. It was very difficult to be gay. Even though all these years have passed, I still had that longing to have my diploma. The hard part was determining that I was going to do it, but I definitely didn't do it alone. 
At age 30, with the help of her mentor, Carissa finished her high school diploma. I have a mentor, Maria. She convinced me to continue my education and to finish what I started to get my diploma. Just never judges. She's a true role model. If you're even considering getting your high school diploma, go get it. You can do it. No one gets a diploma alone. If you're thinking of finishing your high school diploma, you have help. Find free adult education classes near you at finishyourdiploma.org. That's finishyourdiploma.org. Brought to you by the Dollar General Literacy Foundation and the Ad Council. You're never completely ready to adopt a teen. For late nights writing English papers. For your teen's music taste. For dinners, where they talk more on their phone than with you. For the first time, they call you mom. You're never completely ready to adopt a teen. And you can't imagine the reward. To learn more about adopting a teen, visit AdoptUSKids.org. Brought to you by the U.S. Department of Health and Human Services, Adopt US Kids, and the Ad Council. Carolina Newsmakers continues, and once again, here's Don Curtis. We're back with Congressman David Price, Congressman for the 4th District, a frequent guest on our program. And we have, of course, obviously spent a great deal of time, if you haven't listened to the entire program up to this point, discussing the pandemic and the effects of uh, the uh, virus on, on the economy and on health and uh, talking in great detail about what Congress has done, what Congress is likely to do. And uh, we've also talked about uh, uh, just some, some opinions of the congressman about uh, when to open certain things and how to balance off getting the economy back with health concerns. And uh, it, this is a very complicated issue, Congressman. Let me mention this. If you are listening to one of the stations that carries the half-hour version of this program, you can hear the two segments that you missed by going online to carolinanewsmakers.com, and you can hear the entire content. Jason Kong, our producer, segregates those. Uh, the entire content of the entire hour is 45 minutes, and if you'd like to hear the entire broadcast or share it with a friend, you can also do that by going to uh, carolinanewsmakers.com, and you can do just that. Well, Congressman, uh, again, let's just sort of, uh, we may go over some of the, the uh, same issues that we discussed earlier, but uh, as you go back to work, or you're not going back to work, as you continue your work as a congressman, what do you think is uh, the timetable right now for the various steps to move forward to our next step forward on returning the economy as well as uh, providing health care for our, our citizens. What's next? Um, well, the virus is in charge and you're not and I'm not. So we got to, I guess, stipulate that to start with uh, how, how this disease progresses worldwide and what kind of uh, dips and surges there may be in the curve. That's really going to uh, override anything I might uh, say. Um, I do think that we're on track to uh, to begin work in the in the Congress uh, in in person in in the next few weeks. Um, I'm particularly going to be involved in that because uh, I'm the uh, you know have to have a budget. You talk about how life goes on. Well, we got to have a, a budget come October one of some sort, and so the transportation and housing budget that I'm responsible for, we intend to uh, to move along, and that will require in person means. Uh, um, about a month from now, and then and votes on the on the House floor. So so we have a, a protocol. We we put on our masks. We vote a small groups at a time, 
we're able to do our roll call voting. And it's, it's cumbersome, but um, I think we're just going to have to continue to, to do some of that. And then we've adopted proxy voting, which will give us some flexibility. So, so I think uh, we're, we're going to get going here. And uh, in, in fact, uh, uh, we'll, we'll uh, uh, keep, keep on schedule with things that we, uh, that we have to do. It will be a long time, though, before we're uh, operating uh, as, as we're accustomed. And that's true not just for the Congress of the United States. It's true for almost every uh, enterprise in this country. A lot of people are concerned about where this federal money is coming from. Obviously, we're having to borrow it, and so the federal debt uh, continues to rise. Uh, how much money is there before we, we get to an ouch point on that? Well, that's... Um, that's, uh, of course, uh, uh, a question that's going to be uh, very much on our minds uh, going forward. I think, uh, as we said earlier, even those conservative economists are telling us now, don't stop. You know, the, the, the main danger now is stopping too soon and, and having a real economic crash that it's much harder to recover from. Uh, see this through to the other side. And I would say that includes not just relief, but it includes a serious recovery bill. You, you can argue, I think, and I would argue that back in uh, back in 2009, you know, we had this Recovery Act, which uh, we'd have been a lot better off. We would have had a faster job growth and a faster recovery if that had been bigger, not smaller. But yet we always get into these arguments about um, how much is too much. Now, on the other side, with the economy uh, back at a, at a healthier place, then, uh, yes, we need to look forward and... and uh, talk about deficits, annual deficit, talk about debt. You know, um, I, I don't particularly like to say I told you so, but uh, on, on this one, we did, we did say, I and many others said, that when the economy was uh, in a growth mode, the wrong thing to do a couple of years ago was to enact a trillion and a half dollar tax cut. It was more than that, but it took us a trillion and a half further into, into debt. It gave the economy a kind of sugar high, but it wasn't really necessary in terms of uh, countering negative trends. You ought to, you ought to uh, go into deficits and debt as a counter-cyclical matter. Not, you don't do that when the sun's shining. You do that when, you need, uh, when the economy needs help. So that's, uh, that, that puts a second and a half in the hole that we shouldn't be in. Not, not good, but uh, we still need to get out. And it is a matter of trillions of dollars to get out. And uh, the, uh, the total so far is $3 trillion And these relief bills that you and I have discussed, it's going to have to be more than that. But then you, uh, you, do, have, um, you do have revenue coming in and, and, and the economy coming, coming back uh, slowly that will, uh, will replenish the, the coffers. Uh, but, um, and, by the way, you talk about the, what's the tipping point. You know, people have said... You know, you better watch it if your uh, if your debt exceeds your GDP, your your you know the size of the economy. We thought that was um, twelve years away, the point when that was going to happen. Uh, it now happens at the end of this year. That's just how bad this is, how serious this is. The debt of this country will equal the size of this economy uh, within a few months. And um, like I say, that doesn't mean you you get spooked and and stop. Um, stop the process of relief and recovery, but it does mean you know that you're going to have some reckoning to do in the future. 
Well, the interesting thing about debt right now from the, the government is the fact that interest rates are at an all-time low. And so uh, I don't know what we would do if interest rates were high. Uh, well, in that, and, and that should be said, Don, I think, because one of the things we've always looked for as, as trouble signs, troubling signs was interest rates spiking and inflation spiking. You know, that's always been one of the looming dangers of uh, indebtedness. And the fact that isn't happening it probably is, is going to puzzle a lot of economists to figure this out, you know, as to what, what kind of tipping point, if any, there is. But it's also reassuring in terms of our ability right now to sustain this. Well, um, you know, like you say, uh, we are fortunate that, uh, that that interest rate is low. And, and you also mentioned earlier on the prospect of uh, – helping the economy by going ahead with some infrastructure projects that we need to do anyway, that will help provide jobs. And also when people have jobs, they pay taxes. That's exactly right. That's exactly right. I, uh, I have often thought about that experience in 2009, the recovery act. And uh, I just, I just think infrastructure should have been a much, much bigger piece of that. I mean, I know why it wasn't, I could go into that, but not very good reasons, actually. <laughs> but anyway, it wasn't. And, and uh, I think uh, it should have been. And um, so I've always thought that was a missed opportunity, and I don't want to miss it again. Well, Congressman, we certainly appreciate you taking time to visit with us and our listeners. And uh, again, I would remind our listeners, uh, if uh, the work of the Congressman goes on, if you have concerns, of course, you know how to get in touch with Congressman Price either in his district offices or at, uh, in Washington. Um, our program has been produced by Jason Kong, and he promises me he'll have an equally interesting guest again next week. In the meantime, if you'd like to hear a repeat of this broadcast or share it with a friend, you can go online to carolinanewsmakers.com and do just that. So again, that's carolinanewsmakers.com. So till next week, same time, same station. Have a nice week, everybody. Carolina Newsmakers is a production of NCN and is heard each week on a network of North Carolina's leading radio stations. To hear a repeat of this broadcast, go to carolinanewsmakers.com. Carolina Newsmakers is produced by Jason Kong. Network engineer is Alan Sherrill. I'm Scott Fitzgerald inviting you to join us again next week, same time, for Carolina Newsmakers. Newsmakers.